A Mouthful of Air, a poetry podcast with Mark McGuinness. The Oxen by Thomas Hardy Christmas Eve and twelve of the clock No, they are all on their knees, an elder said as we sat in a flock by the embers in hearthside ease. We pictured the meek, mild creatures where they dwelt in their strawy pen. Nor did it occur to one of us there to doubt they were kneeling then. So fair a fancy few would weave in these years, yet I feel, if someone said on Christmas Eve, Come, see the oxen kneel in the lonely barton by yonder coombe our childhood used to know. I should go with him in the gloom, hoping it might be so. As we are approaching Christmas this week, I thought we could do with a Christmas poem, and this was the obvious one that came to mind. To me, this poem is a bit like the movie It's a Wonderful Life. It's synonymous with Christmas, and, you know, it's one of those things that it it feels like it wouldn't quite be Christmas if I didn't have another look at it. And part of me thinks, oh no, not that again. But actually... Each time I do give it another spin, I'm glad I did. It feels like it's really Christmas, and I enjoy it every time. So, like It's a Wonderful Life, The Oxen is a cosy and charming and well-beloved Christmas piece. It was first published in the Times newspaper in December 1915 since when it has been anthologised and reprinted and read at endless carol services and on festive TV and radio shows. It's been set to music by over a dozen composers, including Ralph Vaughan Williams and Benjamin Britten. So it's almost too popular for its own good. It's become a Christmas cliché. But another thing it has in common with It's a Wonderful Life is that, yes, it is cosy and charming, it is a feel-good piece, but if you look carefully, then both the movie and the poem have some pretty dark shadows. So what I want to do today is look at the light and the dark of this poem. 
And eagle-eyed, or should that be eagle-eared listeners, will have noticed that this means that Thomas Hardy is the first returning poet on A Mouthful of Air. Back in episode 8, I read his poem Beyond the Last Lamp. So no prizes for guessing, he is a favourite poet of mine, and I'm happy to welcome him back. So the poem hinges on a legend from the West Country, the southwest of England. And according to this legend, at midnight on Christmas Eve, in other words, on the first stroke of Christmas Day, the cattle in sheds and barns and farmyards, maybe out in the fields if any of them were still out there, would kneel to welcome the birth of Jesus Christ the Saviour and show reverence to him just as they do in the cribs that we see at this time of year. You know, in, it, in your crib, you've got Jesus in the centre and Mary and Joseph bending over the crib. And before the shepherds get there, before the three wise men get there, you've got the animals, a donkey and what I always used to think was a cow when I was small, but I guess it's really an ox. And they're not mentioned in the Gospels, but those two animals have been part of the crib display since way back when. And at the beginning of the poem, the speaker is looking back at a memory of being told the legend years ago by an elder, when nobody thought to doubt that it was true. And then in the second half of the poem, he moves on to the present, and we get the sense that he is now much older, more experienced, and if not necessarily wiser, then at least more sceptical about old legends such as this. And yet, he says, that even now, if somebody invited him to come see the oxen kneel at midnight on Christmas Eve, he would go along with them, hoping that the legend was true. Now, back in episode 8, I shared with you that one reason I love Thomas Hardy's poetry is that we both grew up in the West Country, which he fictionalised in his novels and poetry as Wessex, the name of the old Anglo-Saxon kingdom, where King Alfred used to rule once upon a time. Growing up in the West Country, I don't remember anyone telling me about cattle kneeling on Christmas Eve at midnight, nor inviting me to a lonely farmhouse in the middle of the night to check and see if it was true but I do remember meeting quite a lot of old people in particular who spoke pretty much the way the elder speaks in this poem. And I recognise a couple of the dialect words. So we've got Barton, or Barton, as we say in Devon, which originally meant farm, but later on came to mean farmhouse. It comes originally from two Anglo-Saxon words, bera, meaning barley, and tun, meaning enclosure. So a barley enclosure, a barton, was a farm. And I remember that word in place names in Devon, where I grew up. And we also have coombe, which means a hollow or a valley, especially on the side of a hill or running up from the sea. Isn't that so evocative? It really sounds like a, a hollow or a valley. And it was a word in Anglo-Saxon, but it goes back even further than that to Welsh and other British Celtic languages. And I remember seeing that word in place names such as Ilfracum and Coom Martin. The poem's form is also a very old and traditional one that we have encountered before. It is ballad metre, which you may recall from episode 6, 
when we looked at Edward Lear's poem, The Jumblies. And at least in the more traditional versions, the main thing to look out for in ballad metre is the stresses. The syllable count can be quite flexible. And it's a 4-3 rhythm. So you have one line with four stresses, such as Christmas Eve and 12 of the clock. You can hear those four stresses on the syllables Chris, Eve, 12 and clock. Then the next line has three stresses. No, they are all on their knees. Now they are all on their knees. So you can hear those stresses on now, all and knees. So have a listen to the first stanza again and listen for that 4-3 rhythm. Christmas Eve and 12 of the clock. No, they are all on their knees, an elder said as we sat in a flock by the embers in hearthside ease. Got that? OK, so this rhythm conjures up the world of old England, almost like the tune of an old folk song or indeed a Christmas carol. And combined with some of the old-fashioned language, it means the atmosphere is pretty twee and sentimental and nostalgic. So, for example, you'd get laughed out of a poetry workshop these days if you wrote a Christmas poem and said, we sat in a flock by the embers in hearthside ease. It's a bit too close to shepherds watching their flock by night. Not to mention stuff like the meek, mild creatures in their strawy pen. And I guess we can give Hardy a bit of leeway, given that he was an eminent Victorian, surviving into the 20th century by the time he wrote this. And also in Hardy's favour, I think it's pretty obvious that he's aware that he is being nostalgic and sentimental. You know, he, he does say, so fair a fancy few would weave in these years. And talking of these years, of course, we can't ignore the publication date, 1915, which is often printed with the poem as a, a kind of a heavy hint. Because if you know anything about European history, then you know that this is one year into the First World War, a cataclysmic conflict and one that Hardy responded to in several poems and letters where he expressed his sense of devastation. To him, it was the most violent expression of the destructiveness of the modern world, which long before the war started had begun sweeping away the old traditions, the old faith, the old certainties. Nine years later, he wrote a poem called Christmas 1924, that included the lines, After 2,000 years of mass, we've got as far as poison gas. And the mention of mass reminds us that by the time he wrote The Oxen, Hardy had long since lost his Christian faith, the faith of his childhood that is recalled by the legend of The Oxen. And that loss of faith was a shattering experience for him, and one that added to the melancholy tone of a lot of his writing. So if we're going to put Hardy in the dock for sentimentality in The Oxen, then the case for the defence would argue that he's setting up a deliberate contrast between the old world of his childhood, and by extension Old England, and the new world of doubt and despair and destruction. And maybe he's overdoing it a bit, 
But isn't that what poetry's for? So, on the one hand, the atmosphere of the oxen is very similar to the innocent world of Under the Greenwood Tree, Hardy's first published novel that came out in 1872. That was a charming story of carol singers and their families and a gentle love story that made use of a Christmas setting. But this poem, The Oxen, was written 20 years after Hardy's final novel, Jude the Obscure, which still ranks as one of the bleakest and most depressing novels ever written. So if we read The Oxen in the context of the rest of Hardy's work, as well as the historical backdrop, the darkness is hinted at rather than spelled out, but it's definitely there in the date of publication, in the mention of doubt in the first half and in the gloom of that final stanza. And if we look a bit more closely at the poem's structure, we can see he's written it in two halves, each of which contains two stanzas and they are beautifully balanced. So the first half, which begins on Christmas Eve years ago, with the elder telling the legend to the younger folk, ends with the word doubt, placed prominently at the beginning of the last line of the second stanza. Nor did it occur to one of us there to doubt they were kneeling then. Then the second half is another two stanzas of ballad metre and it ends with the word hoping at the start of the final line, which is exactly the same place where we found doubt in the first half. I should go with him in the gloom, hoping it might be so. Now, hope was a very loaded word for Hardy. On the one hand, it is, of course, hopeful, and it also appears at the end of another of Hardy's most famous poems, The Darkling Thrush, which was written at the turn of the century. The speaker of that poem, as so often with Hardy, is pretty full of gloom, but he's listening to the joyful song of a thrush. And he says that the fact that the thrush is singing so joyfully in such a bleak world means that maybe the thrush knows something he doesn't. So little cause for carolings of such ecstatic sound was written on terrestrial things afar or nigh around that I could think there trembled through his happy good-night air some blessed hope whereof he knew and I was unaware. Going back even further than the Darkling Thrush, about 20 years earlier than the Oxen, Hardy had written a really dark poem called In Tenebris, which is Latin for In Darkness, the first part of which concluded with these lines, Black is night's cope, but death will not appall, one who, past doubtings all, waits in unhope which is a much darker and more conclusive ending than the oxen. You know, in, in Tenebris, the scales have really tipped, past doubtings all, there's no doubt left, and he describes someone waiting in unhope. So it's not just the loss of hope, unhope is the opposite 
of hope. Hardy has created a new word to underline the obliteration of hope. So I think it's all the more remarkable that by the time he gets to the oxen, in the middle of the nightmare of World War I, we find Hardy balancing the scales almost perfectly. On the one hand, we have doubt and darkness, but on the other, we have faith, hope and light. And, of course, the logical cynic will point out that even the invitation to come see the oxen kneel is purely hypothetical. There's no one actually talking to the speaker. There's no invitation. He's talking to himself, or at best to us. And he doesn't venture further than hope. And even if he did, then he would be disappointed. But then the romantic poet would simply smile and read the poem again and savour the fact that Hardy has chosen to end it with hope, which makes it far more prominent than the doubt. And Hardy's speaker may be old and cynical, but he says that if the invitation came, he would venture out in spite of everything. And each time you and I read this poem, or listen to it, it's as if a part of us goes with him, out into the gloom, as an act of faith, in search of magic, in spite of the voice of doubt. The Oxen by Thomas Hardy Christmas Eve and twelve of the clock No, they are all on their knees, an elder said as we sat in a flock by the embers in hearthside ease. We pictured the meek, mild creatures where they dwelt in their strawy pen. Nor did it occur to one of us there to doubt they were kneeling then. So fair a fancy few would weave in these years, yet I feel, if someone said on Christmas Eve, Come, see the oxen kneel in the lonely barton by yonder coombe our childhood used to know, I should go with him in the gloom, hoping it might be so. Thomas Hardy was an English novelist and poet who was born in 1840 and died in 1928. He was best known in his lifetime for his novels, most of which were set in the West Country of England, which he fictionalised as Wessex, taking the name from the old Anglo-Saxon kingdom. But he thought of himself first and foremost as a poet, writing poetry throughout his adult life and continuing to publish it long after he gave up on novel writing. After his death, his ashes were buried in Poet's Corner in Westminster Abbey, and his heart was buried in Dorset with his first wife, Emma.
A Mouthful of Air is a poetry podcast hosted by Mark McGuinness. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help me reach more poetry lovers, you can do this by telling a friend about it or by taking a few seconds to leave a rating or even a brief review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like a full transcript of every episode sent to you via email, including the poem text, you can sign up for this at amouthfulofair.fm slash subscribe. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find all the links, as well as a full episode archive, at amouthfulofair.fm. The music and soundscapes for the show are created by Javier Whaler. Sound production is by Breaking Waves and visual identity by Irene Hoffman. A Mouthful of Air is produced by the 21st Century Creative with support from Arts Council England via a National Lottery Project grant. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another poem. Thank you.